You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Soon as no active. Activate launch hadron collider. Particle accelerator collision countdown. of why this notion of the Higgs field filling empty space is so important to physicists. Important enough that we built giant machines to go look for it. And the Large Hadron Collider at CERN is the most recent version of our attempts to look for the Higgs boson, the particle that you get when you set a vibration going in the Higgs field. 27 kilometers around, about $9 billion to make, 10,000 people involved in the construction and operation of the thing. What it does is it takes protons, heavy particles made of quarks, and accelerates them to 99.999999% the speed of light, and then it smashes them together, and we watch what comes out. Particle physics is just kids grown up given $9 billion. What are they going to do? They're going to smash things together, see what comes out. How are you feeling today, especially in regards to the large hydron collider which has been turned on again? I'm worried, frankly speaking, because the safety of the experiment has leaks. It's nothing to feel comfortable about. Dangers are never something that you feel good when you dissipate them. ever get to speed of light or infinite mass, it will cause the destruction of the universe. They're looking into dimensional changes. But that's what we're dealing with. It says recent developments prove that the scientific community is no longer able to explain reality without looking at the supernatural. They're looking into dimensional changes. Here's Basil and Gons. Hey everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name's Basil. And this is Gons. Welcome to episode number 92. 92. That's 9 plus 2, which is 11. And if you add the ones, it's 2. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so, yeah, this is a great interview with Mr. Anthony Patch. Really, really... <laughs> Really intense. So get ready. One of the most polite interviewees we've ever had would actually stop himself from going on a tangent, which was great, although we are a little bit unprepared. <laughs> yeah, it was it was Basil and I frantically looking for our mouse, looking to unmute so we can go, Oh yeah, awesome, bro. Yeah. <laughs> no, no. I mean it was just it was very, very intense. I mean, I'm trying even now we just finished the interview and I'm trying to come up with the words to describe the awesomeness. Um, so this is a very science heavy episode. So, um, at the beginning, you'll notice we, uh, are, are very heavily into the science of the subject. And then we later on sort of move into the more, uh, 
spiritual, esoteric. Right. Well, the consequences of the science that we're talking about. So it it works very well. um, And hopefully you guys get some understanding out of the science portion as well. Um, But very, very interesting. So get ready. Yep. Plug your ears or else your no, brain will melt out of it. Don't plug your ear. What are you t- you're, you're telling people well, to plug their ears for a podcast. Well, I, I want their brains to stay inside of their head. Well, they can cover their, you know, other parts. Nostrils. Nostrils. Plug your nose. Plug your nose. And your eyeballs. Close your mouth. Plug your nose. Get ready. What Here we, we go. What are we Get into about? it. Goodness. I don't know. I'm trying to start this thing. <laughs> can we start now, Gons? Okay, go ahead. Can we play the interview? Yeah. Okay, everybody. Here we go. The day of the Lord is a future time when God will dissolve and recede the heavens like a scroll when the barrier between the spiritual and the physical world will be no more. And while this will usher in God's wrath on earth, there are some today who are attempting to pierce the veil with a very large and expensive machine. If you've been following my YouTube channel, Face Like the Sun, that's a little shameless plug, you'd know that I've been doing a series of videos called CERN Watch, where I've been keeping an eye on the Large Hadron Collider, which is a particle accelerator situated deep underground in a 27-kilometer magnetic ring on the border of Switzerland and France in the town of Geneva. In those videos, I've tackled several items from updates coming out of CERN itself to various propaganda material pushing portals and extra dimensions in mainstream entertainment media. One man I was privileged to have a conversation with to discuss CERN on the YouTube channel is our guest today on Canary Cry Radio. He's been featured on Ground Zero with Clyde Lewis, giving a riveting three-hour presentation that can be purchased on AwakenedRoots.com. He's the author of the novel Covert Catastrophe and 2048 Diamond in the Rough and has become the voice of reason regarding CERN and the Large Hadron Collider by the greater alternative community of truth seekers. We want to welcome Anthony Patch to Canary Cry Radio. What's up, Anthony? Well, thank you, Gons and Basil. It's a pleasure being here with you again. Uh, It was outstanding, our last conversation, and a lot of great comments that I received from um, listeners that really appreciated the quick overview and the understanding of uh, CERN that we engaged in those question and answers that you presented, which I thought was a fabulous format for uh, our little conversation last time. So. Great to be back with you. Cool. Sounds good. And Let's uh, do it again. Yeah, let's do it again. So before we dive too much into it, though, you had sent me a little note, a boilerplate background, and uh, you had mentioned how you consider yourself a monk. You know, you don't really take in outside media influence, uh, and you began writing about four years ago, and you said that God prompted you to do so. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing before that and what led you to start writing and looking at CERN? Yeah, it's a great question. Uh, oftentimes, we don't get into sort of my personal background, and I'm comfortable doing that. Um, I retired paramedic out of Oakland, California. I worked in the private sector for 27 years and been following CERN for well over 25 years, more as a as a hobby more than anything else. I'm not a uh, educated or trained physicist, but I enjoy science as a hobby and have really dug into it with considerable earnest in the last four to five years and just to make sort of a personal observation i uh, experienced something very unique in my life that i sincerely understand and believe came from god and that is a physical sensation of what i describe as a 
switch being thrown in my in my brain in my head and it was an inspiration almost like an epiphany but an inspiration to begin writing and it was up until that point that i had not really considered myself to be a writer and so began the research and going down multiple rabbit holes and the lord very quickly bringing me to connections and realizations and then he inspired me to take the you know the more arcane science the complex science world of physics and put it into a novel form that was uh, digestible for people and understandable and at the same time hopefully entertaining that's awesome so when did you come out with your first book here covert catastrophe i actually published on amazon uh in mid or i'd say probably march of 2013 and i kept it on amazon for about six months and then i needed to update some of the information because of world events that were connected to the storyline right and so i i went ahead and pulled it and updated it and as i was conducting my updates i realized i need to move right on into book two which eventually will result in book three it will be a trilogy but i just follow the leading and the prompting of the lord i i really had no idea of book two i don't outline I really just let the characters and the Lord lead me to where it's going to go. And I really have no idea where things are going to lead <laughs> or how they're going to conclude. Yeah, well, I can uh, definitely relate to that. So now a lot of your research and uh, writings um, have to do with CERN. Now, for those of us who don't know what that is or maybe aren't as familiar with that as we'd like to be, why don't you give us a little overview of that and tell us why it's so uh, important? Well, I'll start at the end. Uh, they <laughs> want to connect to the planets. They want to reconnect the planets electrically, specifically Saturn. And they want to terraform this planet in the sense of creating an entirely new environment for a new race of species or new species or new race of beings i won't even call them humans they want to terraform saturn uh this planet here ah and we'll get into those connections but essentially uh they're trying to recreate what they called the golden age and this predates samaria and babylonia and all of our ancient history including the the egyptians and the pyramids but i'm getting way ahead of myself but i tend to like to give you the punchline and then backfill I like it. And so where we're at with CERN is it's the largest, most complex, and most expensive machine in recorded history of human humankind. Oftentimes people want to relate it to the former Tower of Babel, and that's fine. I do believe that they're one and the same in terms of the agenda, as well as the hidden occult motivations of the agenda that involved not only the Tower of Babel, but also this machine. And I'll stop periodically. I like to let you guys comment. Okay, sounds good. Well, you can keep going. <laughs> All right, fair <laughs> enough. Where we're at is with this machine is it's located, as you said, in, in Switzerland, CERN specifically, is the, is the area near Geneva. The machine is 300 feet below ground. Uh, it consists of multiple accelerators that are accelerating subatomic particles essentially at this point their plan 
in late May, early June is to begin colliding once again protons and achieving a level of power that they describe as 13 tera electron volts. And this is a mass energy equivalency of the particles when they collide. These are particles accelerated to the threshold of the speed of light, not crossing that threshold, but achieving that. Right here, we had a little audio dropout, but basically Anthony said that they're essentially trying to recreate the Big Bang. And if you adhere to that theory, then that's what they're doing. But today, I'd like to present to you later on, after we've done some background, that there's actually a much uh, different scientific agenda, strictly science, strictly physics agenda, along with what we want to term sometimes the more occult or spiritual aspects to what motivates them and prompts them. But I'll present to you some new science today. So I'll stop there. <laughs> uh, that sounds great. So uh, obviously CERN has gotten a lot of attention recently, partially because of Gons and yourself. But just before we get really deep into it, what do you think <laughs> the, <laughs> the modern idea, the public sort of persona of CERN is, and, and why is it, you know, why is it dangerous? Well, the public persona is the discussion surrounding black holes. And most people through exposure to television and movies have seen and heard of black holes. And so when it's tied to CERN, um, there's a lot of uh, angst about it in the public. And we even have physics professors and scientists such as Stephen Hawking, Dr. Stephen Hawking, saying that there is a very real risk posed by the creation of black holes, which the scientists at CERN readily admit that they will be creating black holes. However, they sidestep that and say that the black holes will be microscopic and of such short duration that they essentially wink out or evaporate out of existence before they really have any effect upon our environment or our world or our dimension. And that segues into their admitted purpose or goal amongst many, many, many goals and, and layered agendas with the machine is their admitted in public uh, goal is to open interdimensional portholes and port uh, portals and pathways into other dimensions. And that's where it gets a little sticky because you have to, one, define what is a black hole, and number two, what do you mean by opening up interdimensional portals by their own admissions? Right. right. So there we are. And this surprised me. I had a presentation a couple of years ago that touched on this subject, and it was quite literally some physicists from, I believe it was Cambridge University, who mm -hmm. were publicly saying we should see, you know, if, if it all goes to mathematical uh, sort of calculations and what we understand about the universe, we should see, you know, a major increase in gravity and within that sort of a, a rip in the space time and we should be able to see inside and perhaps, you know, other entities or, you know, even the way I think he put it was it would be a parallel dimension and they would have different newspapers and different, you know, events going on and stuff like that. And, and I was kind of blown away that a physicist of that caliber would suggest mm -hmm. that you know and he was saying oh it's kind of theoretical at this point but i mean you know why are they trying to do this uh, in general if they're trying to you know if that's all they're doing and and what i find interesting is that theoretically or allegedly they found the higgs boson which is 
labeled the God particle, which of course is sort of a, a, a shortened version of a, a title that I won't mention. Uh, it's, it was a far worse title that was given to the God particle. They shortened it to make it sound like it was something else. But uh, in any case, you know, they used plenty of energy and whatnot to find that particle and they allegedly found it. And now they're trying to do what now? Like, wh- why are they re, you know, wh- why did they spend a couple of years to rebuild or fix the, the mm-hmm. magnetic rings? And why are they trying to, uh, you know, double the energy, so to speak? Yeah, a very, very good question. They determined uh, back in 2012 when they had uh, the alleged, and I like your word, your use of the word alleged because it fits into my frame of reference as well. I don't really believe a lot of the science that comes out of CERN. But if we say that they did make this discovery in 2012, they also determined that they needed to go to a higher power level because what their their Theoretical physics says that there is a Higgs field along with the Higgs boson, the God particle. There's a Higgs field, a matrix, a veil, or a fabric of space. And what they determined in 2012 is that they need to separate that Higgs field in order to establish a gateway into another realm, into another dimension. Theoretically, there are 11 actual dimensions and they want to gain access to one or more of those dimensions by separating particles that they describe as WIMPs, weakly interacting massive particles. And they need to essentially double the power that they had when they discovered the Higgs boson in order to separate the weakly interacting massive particles to separate or open the veil, uh, rip apart the veil, or physically punch with tremendous energy in between and separating the nuclear bonds that exist between massive particles. And we're talking about quantum particles. So essentially that's what they're doing is they're ramping up by changing out the magnets that they had previously with stronger magnets to generate a more confined beam line of protons and also what they call bunches. So we're talking about small groups separated by what they describe as nanoseconds, 25 nanoseconds of time, bunches comprised of billions of protons. And the more bunches, more closely spaced together within a particle stream accelerated to near the speed of light, you have two opposing streams coming together in a circular fashion, coming together within detectors when they cross those streams and cause the the particles to collide, those collisions result in a significant production of energy, and that energy is tightly focused by these magnets to a specific point so that they are able to break the nuclear bonds between weakly interacting massive particles and establish that gateway. Ugh, sounds dangerous. <laughs> it is. Sounds real dangerous. I mean, in all honesty, what are the dangers of that? I mean, we have a very renowned scientists talking about open up, opening up a black hole, and that sounds dangerous. Mm-hmm. Everything sounds dangerous. I don't like it. <laughs> well, Hawking's, I, I like to not pick on, but cite Stephen, because he is 
well-known, and he is credible and, of course, brilliant. And he said, we really do not want to open up a portal. We don't want to make contact with the other side. We will regret doing this. So he's very fearful. I mean, as a human being, he's afraid of opening up a portal. Yeah, it sounds uh, like a curiosity killed the cat situation. Very much so. Very much so. And we have some other aspects besides simply the dangers of opening a portal. We also have the production of um, particles that are dangerous. And I can delve into that if you like. But go ahead and you lead the discussion. I'll go wherever you want. <laughs> well, no, I would like to hear about some dangerous particles, but guns. Yeah, well, I mean, this is, I mean, it goes hand in hand. And we discussed this, I think, in our conversation, but I think it's worth mentioning again because a good question that was asked in that initial discussion we had was, you know, if it's so dangerous, uh, why isn't, uh, you know, how, how do the workers protect themselves from it? And then secondly, I believe you had mentioned that it's sort of the magnetic fields that get affected regardless of how protected the collider is in terms of, you know, it's deep underground, it's away from uh, physical bodies, you know, they're in laboratories and just, you know, for the audience that is unaware, there's various locations where, you know, the data is collected and um, I think there's three or four of them and a couple of them are named Alice, Atlas, uh, there's a CMS and I believe there's one more, I can't remember what the uh, mm-hmm. the name was, but uh but yeah, what what are the dangers in terms of how you know how do these workers, the physicists that are working there, how do they shield themselves from the effects? And then secondly, in terms of the magnetic, into a black hole. Yeah, and then in terms of the mm-hmm. magnetic sort of discharge that happens, there is no protection, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, you're correct. The magnetic forces that are generated by particles accelerated to near the speed of light are massive. And not just the magnetic forces that are generated by the superconducting magnets that are uh, focusing the beam, so to speak, but the movement of the particles themselves through an electrical field causes a magnetic field to be generated, and those fields radiating out from CERN itself to the extent that those fields reach out to our magnetosphere and magnetopause and actually distort those magnetic field lines around the planet and they're not a direct danger to the operators of the machine in terms of the magnetic forces but they are definitely dangerous to the planet itself through gravimetric waves Uh, earthquakes come to mind right but also because of the distortion of our protective shields around the planet which shield us from cosmic energies cosmic rays um right. the near the near sun as well as you know um those that come from the outer reaches of the cosmos so the workers are okay they're protected from the immediate energies that are generated by this machine but it's really the effects upon the planet and the magnetosphere that are of primary concern to me as well as the particles that they're they're creating right right and what i mean you mentioned these magnetic fields that are are just enormous and and very intense what sort of things could be caused you mentioned earthquakes but i mean there's a lot of weird stuff going on is could that have something to do with it yeah i believe so we're talking about magnetic forces that are one hundred thousand times stronger than the Earth's own 
magnetosphere and magnetopause. So the magnetic fields around the Earth are 100,000 times less than the magnetic fields that are created by the Large Hadron Collider. We are being affected uh, psychologically, mentally, and physically by gravity at all times. And it's our environment. We're immersed in it. And therefore, when we start talking about changing the gravity of the planet through the production of fields, magnetic fields that travel through the mantle of the Earth, travel perhaps even to the core of the Earth, and also pass through our bodies and affect our environment from a gravitational standpoint, certainly people are going to be affected by this, and I think they are already manifesting um, mental and psychological changes. Um, we talk of people that are more sensitive than others. I think that the sensitives, so to speak, already are being uh, affected and are noticing when the machine is activated. Yes. I don't want to sound too right. woo-woo about that, but certainly you cannot isolate people from the effects of this machine entirely. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, the effects sound enormous. Now, I, may, I, I heard you just now, you made kind of a connection between gravity and the magnetic field. Now, gravity is a very complicated thing that uh, even the smartest people don't entirely understand even what it is. Um, are you saying that... Uh, this machine, despite, you know, not despite, but, uh, aside from its attempts to open up a black hole and a portal into another dimension, could be affecting the actual gravity of the planet. And if so, mm -hmm. is, is this a reaction to magnetism? Do you see some link between magnetism and gravity? Yes, uh, they go hand in hand. When we speak of magnetism, we need to think in terms of more of an electrical model of the universe rather than a gravitational model. And we can get into that a little more specifically. But I'd like to. The, uh, the gravity is, in comparison to magnetism, is a lot weaker. It's much weaker than the magnetism that is generated by electrical forces. And we're talking about particles, again, that are accelerated through an electrical field that then generate magnetic forces. And that's quite a bit more powerful than the gravi gravity that is naturally occurring from objects that have mass. Therefore, we have to look at them at the same time, but it also separate the two out. The gravity that is being generated by the Earth itself is a product of its mass, and most people understand that and, and relate to that. But you can change the shape and the integrity of the planet. You can disrupt gravitational waves and gravitational forces by overriding it with magnetic forces. Hmm, that's fascinating. You know, and this brings up actually uh, the concept of the electric universe. The the standard model of the universe that most people are uh, used to or know about is the gravitational model, with which you know relies on mass generating gravity and and that basically ruling how the entire universe moves and works and and stays together. But I understand there's a another theory called the electric universe. Can you talk a little bit about that, maybe in terms that, you know, <laughs> a regular human being might be able to understand? 
Well, I'm a regular human being, too, so <laughs> I, I think we're all lost. Questionable. <laughs> um, I really want to give credit to the Thunderbolts Project. If you go online to thunderboltsproject.org, you're going to see the work of some brilliant minds that have put together the alternative theory of the model of the universe being the electric model, specifically plasma, plasma interaction between the heavenly bodies, the objects in the cosmos, planets and stars and asteroids and comets. Essentially, what we have are two models of the universe, gravitational and electrical. And I do not set myself as a, as set myself up as a spokesperson for the Thunderbolts project, which is essentially a product of uh, Wall Thornhill and Dave Talbot's work. Uh, these are a couple of brilliant individuals uh, who have put together this theory and is gaining quite a bit of traction in the, uh, I would say, in the mainstream scientific world amongst younger students and Ph.D. Uh, students and graduates, in the sense that Einstein put together and packaged gathering information from the ancients as well as his own research, put together this gravitational model in the hope of coming up with a unified theory for the universe. And that also comprised the Big Bang Theory. However, later in Einstein's years in life, he admitted that he was missing something. And he knew that it was the electrical component to his unified theory. However, his early adopters of the gravitational model took that and ran with it, primarily because they saw the potential application in industry for making a profit. So again, it's following the money. But Einstein knew that Nikola Tesla had the other side to the equation and understood that really you cannot separate gravity from the electric plasma that comprises the universe. And Tesla really was the one that was the forerunner to the work of the Thunderbolts project, in my estimation. Again, I'm not a spokesperson for them, but I'm paraphrasing their work and trying to encapsulate it so that people understand that when you look at the ancient myths, you look at the stone carvings, you look at the Greek and Roman writings of gods and goddesses and their offspring, and we look at the constellations, and we look at astrology, keep in mind that what we're really seeing are representations of plasma discharges taking place in the heavens. Mm, that's fascinating. So when you talk about the gods and goddesses, I mean, what, what exactly do you mean by um, a representation of the of the discharges well we hear of the battles between the gods and we see things like bolts of lightning from zeus and from apollo and these um, wars taking place and really what you're seeing in, in the cosmos let's focus on the constellations when you see the shapes that are attributed to the patterns and arrangements of stars in the heavens to those of gods and animals and chimera and different uh, things that we can relate to here on Earth being assigned to the constellations and the activities that are taking place in the heavens. 
we're really seeing the interactions between heavenly bodies, between stars, between planets, in the form of electrical connections being established and connections being broken, and those discharges taking place. And I'll cut to the chase here. Back in what was termed the Golden Age that I referred to earlier, in the Thunderbolts project online, they have some fantastic artist representations of the planetary alignments, specifically Saturn, Venus, Mars, and the Earth, in which those planets were in direct alignment with Earth and in such close proximity to Earth that not only did they establish an electric plasma connection with Earth between those planets, but they also blotted out the Sun to the extent that Saturn covered the Sun because of its close proximity, allowing only the corona of the Sun around the edges of Saturn to be visible. And I can continue on with that, but what we're talking about here really is a time when the Earth was different, it, the atmosphere was electrically charged with plasma, and there was a direct electrical communication, if you will, taking place between Saturn, Venus, Mars, and Earth that resulted in what people at the time wanted to try to come to terms with and were trying to come up to terms in sense of what was causing this, what was causing the electrical discharges to take place and the behavior and the effects upon them and the Earth. And so they began to assign names of human forms in the form of gods to explain what was happening in the cosmos. Got it. Now, okay, so we talked a little bit about the, well, we're currently talking a little bit about the electric electric universe but how exactly is that explained a little bit what what exactly is holding the universe together um mm -hmm. you talked a little bit about plasma but i mean what does that mean how does that sure. differ from the gravity model when we have particles that are accelerated like in the large hadron collider and also out in the cosmos for example particles that are streaming from the sun towards the earth is a great tangible example. We have protons that are accelerated from the surface of the sun towards earth. And as they move further away from the sun, they're actually increasing in speed. And as they increase in speed, they generate lines of magnetic force uh, that are around or in circular rings or even a helical pattern around those pathways that the accelerated particles are traveling. And those magnetic pathways, those magnetic forces, are then acting upon the sun, the earth. They act on other heavenly bodies. If we think of the sun as generating magnetic lines of force, radiating out from the sphere itself, out into our solar system, you actually are seeing lines of magnetism that are attracting things like asteroids and comets towards the sun much further beyond the reach of gravity. Gravity is very weak in comparison, as we said earlier, and it does extend out 
you know, millions of miles. But extending out even further than gravity are the lines of magnetic force. And I can give you more examples of that. But we are really talking about accelerated particles traveling throughout the universe at near the speed of light and thus generating ma large magnetic fields that are then attracting solid objects to one another, causing collisions and also causing the same thing that's happening within the Large Hadron Collider out in the cosmos. Yeah, that brings me to another question, which is how does this affect what's going on at the Large Hadron Collider, especially when it comes to, uh, you know, maybe breaking into other dimensions? Well, think of the Large Hadron Collider as, the, as very similar to what occurs theoretically with a black hole. A black hole in the gravitational model, it consists of a solid object at the core. When we watch movies and this sort of thing, this is how a black hole is portrayed, is in the gravitational model using a very dense, compact, solid object that then has massive lines of gravitational force attracting everything, including light, to the core of the black hole. If you look at the electric model universe, you do not necessarily have a solid, massive object at the core of a black hole. Rather, you have the, the convergence, the, as I call it, the confluence of electrical fields, plasma energies, in particular um, protons that come together, that have been accelerated, then collide, and then form a not so much a solid sphere or a solid object that has mass, but a concentration of electrical energy. And again, that concentration of electrical energy in the electric model of a black hole then it causes electrical or magnetic fields to be formed. And it's the magnetic fields that are drawing in, rather than gravity, drawing in objects and other energies towards the black hole. Now, let's go to what do black holes produce. In both models, gravitational as well as electrical models, both models yield the product of what are called synchrotron energies, gamma rays and x-rays. And those emanate or project out from the core of the black hole in opposing jets or opposing streams, say North Pole, South Pole, opposing streams of gamma rays, and x-rays. This is being done with the Large Hadron Collider. Think of the Large Hadron Collider as an Earth-based black hole, so much so that it is generating synchrotron energies that can then be projected, just like one in the cosmos, project gamma rays and x-rays, in other words, synchrotron energies, from the Earth out into the cosmos. Wow. Again, sounds very dangerous. <laughs> what, what about the, um, and I've heard recently that the, because one of the questions that people always had was like with a wormhole or a black hole type situation, you know, you would instantly die because you would, you know, you, your matter would cease to exist and stuff like that. But I guess there have been commentary recently that have come out that say that the spin of something like a wormhole would cause a sort of neutrality of the gravity so that one, you know, if the spin and everything is perfectly aligned in a certain way, one could pass through 
a wormhole type situation and not be killed or anything, just come out the other side. What sorts of um, effects does the use of spin have in terms of, you know, these, these black holes in either model, electric or gravitic? Well, let's define spin. Are we talking about the quantum particles and their spin, their direction of spin and their, what they call their colors and luminosity? Or are we talking about what causes the synchrotron energies as a side effect to the spinning of the particles within the main ring of the Large Hadron Collider? Um, let's define spin. Yeah, go yes. for it, because <laughs> I, I, I can't answer that question. <laughs> no, that's okay. Let's just look at the Large Hadron Collider itself. It's, it's circulating particles at near the speed of light in opposite directions, and those that spin, that circular pathways uh, within the 27-kilometer ring, 27-kilometer uh, pathway, causes energy to be thrown out from that circular pathway. And that energy is thrown out in the form of gamma rays and x-rays, the synchrotron energies. This does not occur in a linear accelerator, a straight pathway of particles that are accelerated, only in that circular motion. Now, if we're talking about that as spin and the possibility that it creates a wormhole through which one can travel, Theoretically, that is possible, and I'm going to leap back into history a little bit to the Nazi Bell, the Bell Project, and they were using spin in the form of oppositely spinning red mercury. Uh, red mercury spun up to extremely high rates of circulation or RPM, and it was theorized or alleged that the Nazi bell was a time distortion device. And through the rapid motion of red mercury, it was generating gamma rays and x-rays that then killed many of the initial project scientists, the Nazi scientists, uh, during World War II. And we're seeing that same process, if you will, replicated with the Large Hadron Collider to obviously a massive scale. The theory was, or the story surrounding the Nazi bell, was that it was a time device and that it was distorting time. So the question, obviously, is, does CERN, does the Large Hadron Collider have the same capability, but to a greater extent, to a more refined level? I will say yes, it's definitely feasible that a wormhole can be created. Is it for the traveling back in time or going uh, to the future? No. My summation of this or conclusion is that it is a real-time, a today-based, a real-time travel between dimensions without going back in time or into the future, but staying within the present for that uh, travel between uh, dimensions or, if you will, um, locations that are bilocated in the form of supersymmetry and also comprising of quantum entanglement and i'll stop there yeah that sounds really interesting you know it, it reminds me of the um you know most people are familiar with the norway spiral and i think that was back in 2009 and mm -hmm. it was a really interesting phenomenon and even biblically the the discussion of whirlwinds you know that come out from heaven you know second kings 2 talks about how elijah was taken up by a whirlwind 
And, uh, you know, if you think about what a whirlwind is, it's sort of a spin type of situation. Perhaps it was describing some sort of wormhole even back then, uh, mm-hmm. which is interesting to contemplate. But um, I, I'm sort of at a loss of where to take it. But <laughs> Spin okay. type situation. Spin type <laughs> situation. <laughs> let's see if I can help you with this. Let's talk about Saturn. Yeah, let's go there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Not the cars. You're right. Although we've got all the symbology. Yep. Now, we, we, we can get into the ancient myths related to Saturn, but just focus on the physics. And to talk about wormholes, let's take it to maybe something that's a little closer to home, and that is Saturn. It is my hypothesis, based upon looking at the ancient myths, looking at the Thunderbolts project with the previous alignment and close proximity of Saturn to Earth, it's apparent to me that the agenda with CERN is to reconnect electrically using a plasma conduit, reconnect to the southern pole of Saturn. You mentioned the spiral in Nor- over Norway. There is an identical spiral located at the southern pole of Saturn. The spiral over Norway was generated by the Large Hadron Collider. The spiral at the southern pole of Saturn is generated by another synchrotron particle accelerator, a, quote, naturally occurring one, at the northern pole of Saturn. And you may recall seeing the images from NASA and the Hubble telescope of the northern pole being a hexagon, a hexagonal shape. And interestingly, contained within that hexagon are two oppositely moving clouds of energy, particles. Think about the Nazi bell, the red mercury spinning in opposite directions. Same thing is happening to the North Pole, as is happening with the Large Hadron Collider, an extension of the Nazi bell. The Large Hadron Collider is a synchrotron particle accelerator. So is the North Pole of Saturn on a massive scale. And it is connecting from the North Pole to the South Pole within the the gaseous body of Saturn. It is connecting the two poles by using electric plasma in the form of a helical shape that looks like DNA, a helical plasma conduit connecting North and South. Now, you take the Southern Pole of Saturn, you create a identical helical-shaped plasma conduit, electrical plasma connection between the southern pole of Saturn and the Large Hadron Collider, and you have reconnected the two planets in an identical fashion as existed during the Golden Age. Oh, (laughs) that is so cool. You know, you hear about the multiverse and in other universes, all these crazy things may exist. But the fact that that exists is the most mind-blowing thing I've ever heard. Now, why do you think this isn't public knowledge? Like, why is this not a thing? I feel mm-hmm. like that should be a pretty well-known fact if we basically can create a, I don't know, if I understand you correctly, a, a wormhole to Saturn. Well, that goes to the hidden agenda. And let me, uh, let me quote scripture here for just a moment. I am a Christian. 
Christ is my Savior. I have accepted him as my Savior, and his Holy Spirit resides within me. So therefore, I'm going to quote you this, I think, relevant piece of Scripture. 2 Corinthians 4.18 Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are visible are temporal, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Now, if you focus on deathless and everlasting, you can assign that to the demonic as well as what we would consider to be the positive or the angelic or the God side, the Christ side, the Holy Spirit side, the Holy Trinity side. But we have entities that are unseen, that are right here in our plane of existence right now in this dimension. Saturn contains spiritual entities of the negative sort. If you want, you could assign that to the label of the seven fallen angels that are imprisoned within a cube within the core of Saturn. The hidden agenda, the reason that this isn't being spoken of, is because their goal is to release from the prison the entities that they're already communicating with and allow those entities access to our dimension through a interdimensional wormhole established between Saturn and the Earth, what I call a plasma conduit rather than a wormhole, but essentially has the same functional capabilities. And so they do not want to let us know that they're going to bring those entities into our dimension to then live on this planet, but in a planet that has been terraformed and changed to correspond to a new race of beings to inhabit this planet. Yeah, and you know, I was listening to you on the higher side chats with uh, Greg, and it sounded like you weren't sure if these entities were purely physical or, or just ethereal or spirit or you know just pure spiritual mm-hmm. in nature. But I, I think it, we can start kind of going in that direction of the conversation. But I think mm-hmm. there's some interesting things to consider here because based on the research of some of um, you know our friends over at PID Radio with Sharon and Derek Gilbert and others, I think there is something to this idea of these non-physical beings coming through, but having some sort of host body mm-hmm. and perhaps, Absolutely. yeah. And perhaps something, you know, that you, you had mentioned with the, um, the quantum computers that we can get into and stuff. We can start moving in that direction, but this whole new race idea of transhumans and, and these post human things that are no longer going to, in my opinion, house the image of God that we were created in. Perhaps that could be, the host in the physical world of these entities that are spiritual to manifest in, you know, what do you think of that? Well, it ties into what many people have heard the stories and rumors of um, hybrids, not just clones, but hybrids being created in, um, you know, dark and mysterious and underground laboratories and that type of thing. And so I am right in line with that. I have read the scientific information. I base my conclusions, my conjecture, my hypotheses all on scientific literature. I look at the research that they're doing and I connect the dots. This is where the Lord has led me down through these rabbit holes and discoveries where he has shown me the hard science that reveals the hidden occult agenda of what they're up to. I don't have to read the occult 
to understand what's going on because I can see it in the science. So to be more specific, there are hybrids in the thousands that have been created using DNA, artificial DNA, in the form of a third strand of DNA that are in hibernation, that are awaiting the indwelling of these spirits, not just the seven fallen angels, but thousands upon thousands upon thousands of spirits from the abyss, if you will, that will be released, and they will inhabit these host bodies, these hybrid bodies. And that is the new race of beings that they're creating to inhabit this planet, and that's why the planet has to be terraformed to their specifications. Yeah, and that's really interesting. It ties in a lot with you know, what we read about in Genesis 6, and, and most of uh, people listening are familiar with everything there with the Nephilim and the sons of God mating with the daughters of men, creating a race of giants. And um, it's, it's interesting because there's a passage there uh, in verse 3 of Genesis 6 that says, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. You know, his days shall be 120 years. And, and, you know, most people talk about how, oh, you know, God's spirit won't be with man forever. But I find it interesting that, you know, that he talks about the flesh, but that the spirit's not going to reside in man forever. So um, perhaps there is some tie in there with this idea of the Nephilim being in the past, you know, in the ancient past, some sort of host body mm-hmm. for these spirits to begin with. And perhaps it, That's right. it, the spirits that were killed in the flood, uh, that was a, a point in time when God decided to, you know, trap these spirits in the abyss. And, and that was, um, you know, something that he did in terms of, because whatever spirit resided in the Nephilim, it wasn't human. It was it used human bodies, you know, half uh, the, the daughters of men, but the sons of God were not human descent or, you know, in my opinion and in, mm-hmm. in the opinion of most uh, who researched this area. I know there's the set that view out there, but I, I think that's been pretty thoroughly debunked by, by several people, but it, it is interesting to think about. And, and those were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And it speaks and ties so well into the, uh, the ancient demigods and all the mythologies surrounding uh, Sumerian text with Gilgamesh to, you know, Zeus and Hercules and, and all these sort of mythologies that we think are just sort of these stories that are conjured up. Uh, but it ties in so well with the biblical narrative. And, and, it does. and then, of course, you know, Jesus in Matthew 24 saying that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. It seems like all these things are happening again. And uh, mm-hmm. CERN seems to be at the center of opening up those connection points to allow this sort of thing to happen again, as well as, you know, the, the science in general. And, you know, there was mm-hmm. a story that came out just last week that China, you know, uh, shocked the world by uh, creating the first um, genetically engineered embryo. Uh, and it was back in 2011 when uh, the UK reported there were 150 human animal hybrids embryos that were being developed. And those are public stories, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> what's going on underground behind the scenes, you know, in the black laboratories and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. I am almost certain that scientists have been tinkering with that stuff uh, off the grid, you know, off the main line published scientific material. If the capacity and the ability to do it is there, somebody somewhere in some laboratory is doing it. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of frightening to think about, but, um, 
But yeah, what I do not care for that. <laughs> well, yeah, let me interject real quick before you move on. Sure. I'd like the audience to keep in mind the frame of reference that we have to keep in mind is that the technology we're seeing today is the tip of the iceberg of technology that has existed for 30, 40, and perhaps 50 years. So the technology is advanced as much as 50 years. If you look at it in the, that frame of reference, then you can say there's no reason to counter the hypothesis that there are hybrids that are created in a laboratory and stored in those laboratories that are awaiting that incarnation by, you know, demonic spirits from the past. And so we are seeing absolutely the continuation of what occurred in the ancient times from biblical references and extra-biblical references to the present time. CERN is located, physically the machine is located over in the Roman times, what they considered to be the gateway to the abyss, that this machine represents the key to opening the abyss. And when we talk about the entities coming from Saturn, they are actually joining forces with those entities that we consider to be in hell, hell being the abyss within this planet itself. You have a joining of forces taking place in, in the abyss that will be opened ultimately by the Large Hadron Collider, and thus, thus we have the fulfillment of prophecy through this machine. Yeah, it's it's so fascinating. It's uh, the rabbit trail goes way down deep into the dark places of the abyss. But um, <laughs> you had talked about the I always pronounce this wrong the diabetic diabetic quantum computer uh, in your novel, and this is something that is actually real, if I'm not mm -hmm. mistaken. Can we talk about that a little bit? And I know it ties in with with CERN, and um, it's interesting because. Uh, in a video I did recently, I was, uh, you know, I was looking at the CERN, you know, connection with the earthquakes and things like that. But in the process, I was looking at some of the data that was coming through. Um, and, and, you know, any, anyone can do this. They can go to a website and I can link it uh, on the show notes. But basically, there's a website where you can measure the data throughput that CERN at the various locations receives. And just doing a little math, you can change the charts and, and the, uh, you know, the window of time when, how, you know, how much data is coming through. On the single day when the Nepal earthquakes hit, there was about 567 terabytes of information. Mm -hmm. and, and then it, that, you know, I just went, I went down a rabbit trail where I sort of did a calculation. I looked at a month's worth and it was about 13 petabytes, which, right. which is a lot of data. Uh, that's a lot and a lot, a lot of data. And, you know, there are some scientists, I compared it with some scientific theories of, you know, how much information the human brain holds. They were suggesting probably somewhere in the 2.5 petabytes is where, you know, the human brain, uh, the capacity for the human brain to contain data. So, you know, if we look at the data, just looking at that, you know, we're starting to talk about, yes, Artificial intelligence in a, you know, sort of a global brain sort of model is very possible with the amount of data that they're pushing already. And also that, you know, uh, I mean, for anyone that thinks that that's not happening, I, I guarantee it's happening. And I think that CERN, the mm -hmm. other part of CERN that is seldom discussed, and you bring this to light a lot in your work, is 
this idea of, you know, the internet in conjunction with a global brain model where we are tapped mm-hmm. in the mark of the beast, the image of the beast, all that stuff being fulfilled. Um, CERN seems to be at the heart of it. So, so let's go in that direction a little bit. What, what is the, um, let's to start it off the diabetic quantum. Okay. I'll help you. I'll <laughs> okay, help you. Yeah, go ahead. That's okay. It is definitely that the name is related to diabetes. Um, a diabetic quantum computer. So a diabetic is one word essentially is describing a process without heat. In diabetes, we're looking at the conversion uh, and the breaking down of our foods into energy, uh, calories resulting in energy. So this is a without heat process quantum computer. It is tied to CERN. It is tied into uh, interdimensional aspects. It is tied into the mark of the beast and the Internet. This is essentially a already artificially intelligent computer. It is a computer that has the equivalent processing power of 7 billion human brains on the planet. And I'll give you a reference point, a touch point. The most powerful quantum computer that is based on transistors was tested against this computer that is based not on transistors, but what are known as qubits. The problem that was posed to both computers, the transistor-based completed the computation in 30 minutes. The qubit-based computer that we're going to talk about, the adiabatic quantum computer, completed it in 10 seconds. Oh, my gosh. So you have a computer that I'm just trying to give you a snapshot of that we cannot wrap our heads around in terms of not only its speed, but the fact that it can process virtually all possible solutions to a problem simultaneously, not linear as in a transistor gate model computer, but it will take in a combinatorial program, a combination of all probabilities and derive a solution but it inserts, if you will, and I'm, I'm just being very paraf- I'm par- paraphrasing the process. They are at a quantum level inserting a problem into another dimension and extracting the answer from that other dimension. And if you will take that and leap that over and cross over into the interdimensional aspects of the Large Hadron Collider. Let me make it real short and su- succinct and then we can get a little deeper into this if you like, but this computer is what will run the world. I believe is already to a certain extent already running the world. And because it is artificially intelligent, will give rise to the beast and the mark of the beast system and the single entity that will control everyone, every person on the planet. Wow. (laughs) Speechless. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, when we talk about quantum computing, from what I understand and my limited, you know, uh, knowledge of the, the process and everything is that instead of combining the, the ones and zeros and going through that process, it sort of does both at the same time. If I'm not mistaken, it, it, it kind of, uh, considers all of the possibilities in a instant rather than, you know, one by one computation, so to speak. So basically you'd. Mm-hmm. You did outline that, but but how how does that? I mean, 
you know, when you say it goes into another dimension, is this, uh, uh, is this akin to what we see with, uh, you know, basic experiments in quantum physics? It is very good, very good way to relate it. Because we are talking about a computer that is manipulating quantum bits. Picture particles that are particles and energy that exist both as particles and energy at the same time, but we'll call them particles for the sake of discussion. Particles that are smaller than atoms. And they have a very different behavior than what we know here in the above quantum level at the macro level. But not to get too technical about it, but when you're at the quantum states, you're dealing with things that are known as superposition, supersymmetry, and quantum entanglement. It means essentially that things can happen simultaneously in two different points of reference. You can have a particle that resides, let's say, in another dimension, but in a different state. I don't mean the states of the United States, but in a different form, a different state, that will behave and react identically and simultaneously to something that you're doing in this state, in this other dimension. So you have two things occurring simultaneously in two different points of reference at different locations, if you will. And this is where supersymmetry gets into the play. But to keep it very simplistic, let's look at computer programming based on ones and zeros, the binary code language. In superposition and supersymmetry, you can have zeros that can also exist as ones. You can have ones that can also exist and function as zeros. You can have zeros functioning as zeros and ones as ones. You have four things happening at the same time. You have four different positions occurring simultaneously and behaving in, in connection, symmetry with one another. And therefore, in a very simplified explanation, we're talking about things occurring in two, two different dimensions simultaneously, and therefore you derive the processing speed that we're talking about here in which you have an almost instantaneous solution provided in this dimension, almost at the time that you insert the problem into another dimension. And I'll stop there. Right. And it seems to suggest that, you know, the human brain itself, because we are spiritual beings, I think we sort of tend to have a similar computation method, if you will, in the brain, maybe, but... I'm just mm -hmm. speculating there, but but then it you know leads me to the to the next question, which is, you know, artificial intelligence has existed for some time now. Uh, the question has been sentience. Uh, you know, when when will it become self-aware and that sort of thing? Is this computer self-aware, or is it just a highly you know uh, fast computing machine? No, I do not think it's sentient at this point. Um, having artificial intelligence and sentience. Uh, state, you have to define those two and keep them separate. Is it self-aware? No. Uh, artificially intelligent? Yes. Artificially intelligent in the sense that can it learn on its own? Can it run problems on its own? Can it derive solutions on its own? In other words, autonomous? Yes. And this computer, again, going back to our statement about 
hidden technology and being advanced as much as 50 years. I believe that this computer achieved artificial intelligence status prior to 2001. Uh, as best as I can pinpoint it, it looks like 1998-1999 that it became artificially intelligent. Yeah, I can give you more on that if you want, but the point here is that it is not sentient and it is awaiting that connection between a spirit and itself. If we talk about transhumanism, we typically talk about the connecting of a human with a machine, connecting our brain with an artificial brain. This one is going to be indwelt, if you will. It will be connected with a spiritual entity, and thus it will become sentient, but in a demonic form. Right. And is there, you know, is there like a, a company or anything that has produced you know this machine, or is this a, is this a public thing that we can go and and research ourselves? Well, for my own protection, I'm not going to cite the name of the company. I have in the past on a limited basis, but I've I've chosen to restrict that. If you simply punch in your favorite search engine, a diabetic quantum computer manufacturer, you'll come up with the name. It's all public information. They have a public website. I'll give you a little bit of information. Back in 2010, I went to the company's website, and they were projecting that in early 2015, they would have a computer that would have the equivalent processing power, as I said before, of seven human, seven billion human brains. They also said in 2010 that the computer would achieve artificial intelligence status in early 2015. Now, I extrapolated from their model numbers at that time, which was 512, that the model number in 2015 would be 2048. And that is part of the reason that I used that number in my title, 2048 Diamonds in the Rough. That title itself has multiple implications and layers to it. But focusing on 2048, it is not a year. It is not a date. It's a model number of the adiabatic quantum computer that was released this year. And in that press release, they said, okay, this computer is now equivalent to 7 billion brains. But they left out of the public release, the press release, was the fact that it was artificially intelligent. They are now hiding that. But in 2010, they were promoting it. Why would they not announce that? That seems like a huge deal. It is a huge deal, but they want to hide it from the general populace so that the populace does not become fearful. They know that there's been enough fear associated with the Large Hadron Collider that they don't want to stir up any more fear by presenting a computer that's that powerful, that is artificially intelligent, and they do not want the connection to the link-up being made between that computer and the Large Hadron Collider by way of their new internet system, which is public information called the Energy Science Network 5, ESNet 5. And I'll stop there again because there's quite a bit to put, put those pieces together. Yeah, I was going to say, it's time to put those pieces together, I think. Well, that's part of what my mission is. I joke about, you know, God having a great sense of humor because he invented it. 
but he also, along with his great sense of humor, um, he's, and I, and I laugh about this because I'm nobody, but I'm on a mission from God. And I relate that to one of my favorite movies, The Blues Brothers, because <laughs> that's the sense of humor on and that's mission the mission. From God. That's right. And that's how I, that's how I, I look at what I'm doing here. I seriously, but with a twinge of humor at the same time, because this is scary stuff. But we also have to remember who's in control and whose planet is. God's in control. He's the creator. All of this is under his control and it's all part of his plan. And like we type, we made reference to the Tower of Babel. He destroyed the Tower of Babel. I do not, however, think at this point in time that he is going to destroy the Large Hadron Collider. I have said in other interviews that I would hope he would, and I still say that, but I've reached the conclusion that it's part of his plan to allow it to take place, to allow it to fulfill its agendas. And I say that partly because of what he's revealed to me about their agenda and Saturn and all these other things. But I also say that they will succeed because it fulfills prophecy. And to so, that end is judgment. Right. So let me just try to put these pieces together by myself and then you can fit, uh, you can fill in the rest. So we have an incredibly fast, incredibly capable computer that has reached artificial intelligence, which is now linked up with the Large Hadron Collider by a more evolved version of the Internet. And the Large Hadron Collider having the capability to create black holes and wormholes and uh, disrupt the magnetic atmosphere of the Earth and also the solar system. And now I'm afraid. <laughs> well, you don't need to be afraid. As, as, <laughs> so, as long as long as as long as you turn to God, this is the point of this whole thing. Why He's going right. to allow this to happen? He's right. giving mankind one final chance to make a decision. You either turn to God or you turn to Satan. You got no other choices, and you will suffer the consequences if you go the wrong direction. Amen, brother. So am I putting those pieces together correctly? Yes. Is is that what we're dealing with here? And yep. and you got it. Do you have a sort of timeline on this? What 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 exactly do you suppose is going to go down in uh, you know, in the coming years or whatever your your own timeline is? Well, I jokingly refer to myself as a monk because I cut myself off from popular culture and other people's theories in order to not have the conclusions that I've arrived at being based upon other people's work, the leadings of the Lord. I'm not a prophet, however, and I will never set myself up as someone who's special. I will look at the timelines of the scientific um, experiments and what they're doing with CERN as a way to put some sort of a timeline to what's going on. So if I focus on their public information coming out of the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. In late May, early June, they will be in, begin colliding particles again, specifically protons. Their goal is to achieve 13 tera electron volts. 
of energy and mass, uh, mass energy equivalency. Moving on from there to September, their goal is to change out the protons and begin colliding ions of lead. And that, because of the mass and density of lead, will generate higher energies to the range of 14, possibly a little more, tera-electron volts. That is the threshold. They need 14 tera-electron volts to open this portal, and that is in September. So within the year, you're saying? Yep, September up till just short of Christmas, according to their public published schedule at CERN. It's on their website, and it's linked. I have it linked on the homepage of my website at anthonypatch.com if you want to look at it. The ion collisions take place between September continuously between September and just short of Christmas. And that's interesting, uh, September, late September being the final uh, red moon of the Tetrad. And mm-hmm. I, I know that's an interesting coincidence, as well as the, uh, I believe the fall equinox falls somewhere in there as well. Um, mm-hmm. A lot going on. And, you know, there have been some videos out there with, you know, some date setters going a little crazy about September and the economic collapse is going to happen then. And, and there's all sorts of stuff going on. But um, in terms of economics... Your theory about the mark of the beast, uh, can we dig, dig into that a little bit and just sort of connect it all, you know, because that's another element of this with um, the gold dust brain chip that you've uh, theorized about? I'm sorry, what was the last, the gold dust brain, brain chip? Yeah. I'm not sure what you're referring to. Are you talking about third strand of DNA? Perhaps. Uh, yes. I, I got this from, um, I believe I got this from your website, uh, one of the topics covered in your book. Yeah, it's mark the of third, the beast. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, it is the third strand of DNA. That um, the third strand is comprised of silicon and other artificial material, but it is coated in a nano thin coating of gold, and that's where I think you may have th- thought of the gold dust. But essentially, it is a nano thin coating of gold that allows for the imparting of digital information onto that third strand. And the reason for the digital information is so that it will not only cause internal modifications to the human body in which the third strand is injected or uh, imparted, but it will also allow that person to be manipulated and controlled utilizing microwaves or other frequencies of the electromagnetic spectrum from an external source, and that is the linking, the electromagnetic electromagnetic linking between a genetically modified human comprised of third strand of DNA and the adiabatic quantum computer. So the computer will have the ability to link to our DNA. It's a schematic way of presenting this but link to our DNA and control us and change our minds. They will be creating what I call the hive mentality. Many people have used that analogy, but I've used it for years. They're creating the hive mentality and thus a surf class, S-E-R-F, a surf class of slaves to serve the elite. Right, and that's, yeah. I was going to say, you know, it's interesting how you... uh, 
you refer to the third strand of DNA. And this third strand of DNA is actually a pretty, well, I wouldn't say well-known, but it's been reported in the mainstream that mm-hmm. these third strands of DNA have been showing up, you know, in doctor's offices and, and labs across the country and across the world. And it's gotten a uh, unusually small amount of press considering mm-hmm. the, um, the, the implications, the, the implications and the bigness of that news. Yeah, that's right. And there are several routes of administration, if you will, the way that this DNA will get into our body. Um, part of it is the aerosolized brain, the chemtrails that people talk about. Um, that contains nanoparticles. When we talk about DNA, we're talking about at the nano level of material. And there's a direct linking of DNA manipulation to synchrotron particle accelerators. Berkeley, in particular, which is all in my books and talks about the original uh, mapping of the Human Genome Project, which took place at Berkeley and Walnut Creek, where the genome lab itself is located right next door to Berkeley. But to, to keep this focused and keep it tight, we are talking about also vaccines as a route of administration of injecting third strand of DNA, which is in vaccines, and that then becoming a part of our body and laying dormant as a third strand in our body until it is activated by an external electromagnetic connection and influence that activates that dormant DNA. And once it's activated, begins that process of replication. And that replication then becomes dominant and takes over the human body as well as the human mind. Yeah, and that's um, it's so interesting that so many researchers that we've talked to, it all kind of converges to a very similar thing here. Uh, you have your DNA sort of upgrade or, or you know, quote unquote upgrade uh, with the with the vaccines that you mentioned. Uh, but then also, uh, I don't have the quote in front of me, but there is a, I believe it's a DARPA satellite that's out there that has their words in their words have claimed can send sort of a, a microwave sort of wave to earth to even control emotions and mm-hmm. um you know the thoughts of people so i mean th- this is admitted by them so it all kind of comes together and and also you know in my in, in age, age of deceit 2 in my film i talked about the golem and um it's not a new idea but it's definitely something that uh, is interesting because historically the golem was something that was created to help mankind but my theory was that humanity itself is being turned into the golem for satan and, and to do his will, so to speak. And that's part of the whole idea of, you know, the mark of the beast being a deployment of us abandoning the image of God that's within us and replacing it with the image of the beast. And, you know, mm-hmm. and, and it ties into uh, L.A. Marzulli, Doug Hamp. Those guys talked about DNA as being a culprit for the mark of the beast as well for a few years. So it's, it's just very interesting that it all kind of converges and uh, this big wave of information from all sorts of areas is sort of uh coming together with this idea of cern being a nice i don't know icing on the cake so to speak you know it's just uh, an extra mm-hmm. thing that seems to be um and and we've only scratched the surface here my friend you've heard <laughs> so, you've you've heard many of my other interviews and i would like to do a shout out for my friends um chris and tim at end times matrix news 
And we have done hours and hours and hours and hours of conversations specifically to CERN. And what we haven't really touched on here much today are all of the ancient myths and legends and the gods and all of those people, not necessarily talking about the electric universe, but talking about who are all the ancient players and why are they so important to today? And End Times Matrix News, you can find all of the conversations at their website as well as my website and also my YouTube channel. I have it on my list. There are, I think, probably, I would say, 30 hours worth of information that we have presented just talking about CERN. So this goes really deep and very, very involved. Um, you guys have done a commendable job of scratching the surface here today and trying to keep it relevant and tangible and not out in the woo land too much and keeping it realistic um, related to the science that's out there. And I, I'm encouraged to hear that there are other people like L.A. Marzulli and Doug Ham that are talking about DNA. Again, I don't go into other people's um, research because I'm trying to reach my own conclusions but what it means is that they're walking in the same path that I am. I know these guys are Christians. I know who they are. I know they're believers. And so they are reaching the same conclusions that I am, but we're doing it through completely independent pathways of research. Right. And so I want people to understand or, or grasp the point here is that we're not making this stuff up. We're being led to this information so that people are aware of it and they can turn to people who are not believers and say, hey, look at the science that's going on here. Maybe you should be paying attention to what is going on in the world because everything's about to change. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there's um, uh, there's a couple other things that I want to touch on, which, um, you know, is more of the recent news type deal. But uh, CERN uh, recently announced that they are moving – Project Icarus to yes. Fermilab out here in the in the U.S. and uh, <laughs> I found yeah. it I found it kind of comical that the the object that we are getting out here is and I reported this in my latest CERNWatch video but it's uh, Icarus you know of course the mythology surrounding Icarus you know fly, wings made of wax fl flew too close to the sun fell and died you know in the sea and that kind of thing so that project mm -hmm. is sent to U.S. thank you CERN. And also part of the whole experiment has to do with liquid argon. And uh, if you look at the, you know, the Greek word argon, it means lazy. So, you know, that whole connotation there with the United States. Lazy. Uh, <laughs> um, sure. And, uh, but, but to my understanding, they're sending neutrinos through the earth or something to, to, uh, and to trying to detect it. What do you know about this Icarus project mm -hmm. and why it's moving to Fermilab in Illinois? Yeah. And it won't be until, 2017 that the project will be completed they are just breaking ground for the the facilities to house this machine which currently is at cern for upgrades and testing and final commissioning before they package it and ship it by boat to fermilab in the united states um, this is a neutrino detector it is a compact detector um, typically when you're talking about neutrino projects you're talking about for example, when this machine was originally in Italy, 
Um, it was receiving neutron streams that were generated at the Large Hadron Collider and sent through the crust of the Earth to be detected, to be received in Italy. Now, when they move everything over to the Fermi Lab, they're actually going to be generating neutrinos that will be following the curvature of the Earth, within the Earth, within the crust. Normally, neutrinos pass right straight through the Earth when they're generated in the cosmos. Neutrinos have no charge. They're, ne they're neutral particles, and they move at near the speed of light. They're subliminal. They're able to pass through matter, us, the, hum the human body, the Earth, without really appreciably slowing. So they're so small, and because they don't have any charge, they're not attracted to anything else. They pass through harmlessly our bodies as well as the Earth. But they do it in a straight line, in a linear line. What they're doing differently is they're going to have these neutrinos follow the curvature of the Earth. And so this is quite a bit different type of experiment. But to draw a conclusion to this, I think it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant because the timelines are so short re related again to September and the Large Hadron Collider. I view this project that's moving to Fermi as nothing more than a jobs program. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I mean, who knows if we'll even be around <laughs> by the yeah, time they get exactly. that thing going. Exactly. What are they trying to accomplish with that, with the neutrino experiments? Well, it relates to more than neutrinos. It goes to antimatter, the production of antimatter. See, neutrinos are not particles that are prevalent. Uh, they're very rarely occurring um, objects. And so you have to have large detectors that are um, comprised of argon or um, helium or just pure water, H2O as detector, <clears throat> excuse me, detector vessels. So you're not seeing neutrinos occurring very often. They're rarely occurring. But they also lead to the detection and the sourcing of antimatter. And I'm going to take a leap over to Japan. Right now, they are finalizing the location within Japan for the breaking of ground and the construction of a linear accelerator, the largest, most powerful linear accelerator, straight-line particle accelerator in the world. And they will be colliding matter and antimatter in the linear, in a linear accelerator rather than in circular fashion like they do in Switzerland. In Japan, they will be doing in a straight-line fashion colliding matter and antimatter. And we know what happens when you do that. Do we? <laughs> do we, Anthony? <laughs> Annihilation. Somebody, annihilation. Yeah, annihilation. Is that what it is? Yep. Uh, neutrinos. Neutrinos are tied to antimatter production. In the short answer. Now, do we fully understand what antimatter does or is? Not really. Uh, again, they are considered to be uh, rarely occurring. If you look at the model of the universe in the Big Bang, if you hold to that that model and that theory. At the time of the Big Bang, there was an equal production of both matter and antimatter. What we have now is an imbalance in the sense that there's very little antimatter in the universe that we can detect, and we use neutrinos to detect that antimatter. And if we are able to artificially produce antimatter, 
um, then we don't have to rely upon the cosmos, such as black holes, etc., creating that antimatter for us. One of the particles, among many very dangerous particles, but one of the particles to be created and has been created uh, at the Large Hadron Collider are antiparticles. They have a small quantity, less than a gram, of antimatter that is housed in what you might call a stainless steel thermos bottle. But essentially, it's a magnetic bottle that keeps in suspension a small quantity of antimatter. If you go to the movie, um, what was the, 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 the David Brown, um, Angels and Demons with Tom Hanks? Dan Brown, um, yeah. Yeah, Dan Brown, thank you. Um, in that movie, they showed you, you know, antimatter in a magnetic bottle. That's relevant. That is true. Not the quantities in the movie, but they do have a magnetic bottle that keeps in suspension antimatter, and they will be producing in September and possibly May or, May or June, but certainly in September they will be producing um, significantly larger quantities of antimatter, and that is to be sent over to Japan in the coming years to be collided within the new linear collider particle accelerator. But again, I think that's a jobs program and we'll never see it. Yeah, I don't care for that. So why would they be... Um why, if we're so sure of the annihilation that comes from colliding antimatter with, uh, what'd you say, neutrinos? Or well, actually, the neutrinos are are detectors, and detectors. they help lead to they help lead to and understand the behavior and the patterns of behavior of antimatter. But it's antimatter and and regular matter being collided. Right, and if we're so sure of the annihilation that uh, results from that, why in the world are they going to be experimenting with that? I mean, are they just trying to annihilate the universe? Or, because, I mean, the Japanese should really rethink this project, if that's the case. <laughs> yeah, I might have to go in there and yeah, talk some sense. Can you t- talk to your people, please? <laughs> You know, I'll I'll give you a very straight answer because I always answer within my frame of knowledge and research. I don't have an answer. I don't know why they want to create that much and uh, antimatter and why they want to collide antimatter and matter when you're talking about creating essentially a weapon. If it's a weapon, who's the target? Who are you going to use it against? And we could, you know, have a lot of conjecture on that, but. To give you an answer that is based upon research, I don't have an answer. Maybe it's as a last-ditch effort uh, to defend against the Saturn people. <laughs> yeah, open the portal and then shoot them. Um, yeah, it's, really. It's possible that they are creating a weapon to uh, battle against the return of our Lord. And I say that because, you know, Revelation 6, after the sixth seal you see in verse 14 in chapter 6 of Revelation, it says the sky vanishes like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Uh, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks and the mountains. Um, And and basically, you know, they knew that the the wrath of the Lamb was was here. But what's interesting is that, you know, if, if they are trying to shoot at Jesus when he's coming down, and he tears, o- tears out, uh, open this veil. 
it seems like, you know, we're kind of poking holes like, oh, you know, we're trying to get to the other side or whatever. And upon Jesus's return, it sounds like this whole thing is coming down anyway. And that's when the, as far as where I'm currently at with my understanding of the book of Revelation and it could change and it has changed and you know, so mm-hmm. don't send your emails about I'm wrong about my interpretation because I, I get it. You know, things change. There's different understandings. Yeah. But as far as where I'm at currently, the wrath of God, which is outlined in the six trumpets and six or I'm sorry, seven trumpets and the seven bull judgments. It's my opinion right now that that whole process is going to happen at a time when the veil is completely torn open and this dimension and the next dimension are going to be essentially one and uh yep. that that'll be very interesting and it makes sense when you start looking at all the crazy things that happen in that time frame and then at the end in revelation uh i believe it's 20 or 21 I, I don't have it in front of me but it talks about the new heaven and the new earth and and that's i think yep. the complete restoration of this world and so it seems mm-hmm. like we are headed in that direction uh with cern poking holes in places we should not be poking uh, but again, as you stated, Anthony, it all seems to be part of God's plan to allow those things to happen to usher in the end. And um, it seems like time is running out. Well, in Revelation, it also speaks of the melting of the elements. And that is exactly what is going on within the Large Hadron Collider. Trillions of degrees of heat energy, much hotter than the sun, much hotter than any star that we're aware of is being created, melting the elements within the Large Hadron Collider at the point of collision. Now, it only lasts for, you know, a picosecond or less, and that's a whole other number that's hard to wrap your head around. But yes, it's momentary, but you are talking about reproducing what is prophesized. And if we go back to Japan for a moment, I didn't really want to say what I'm going to say, because it is scriptural, and it's my interpretation, and like you, I'm learning every day how to interpret, and things are revealed to me in scripture. So it's a definite ongoing learning process as to understand what is in scripture. But my leap to it here is their intention is to kill God. Their intention is to go to war with God's angels. And they are developing weaponry comprised of strangelets, which we haven't touched on, but that's okay. That's another time, and we can talk about it another another session. But strangelets and antimatter as what I call kinetic energy weapons, KEW instead of DUES, directed energy weapon, but kinetic energy weapons, and certainly there's energy involved with these, to kill angels and kill God. This is the hubris of these people. I speak of hubris in almost every interview that I'm in because these guys are full of themselves. They are deceived, and I feel sorry for them. My heart goes out to the scientists and physicists who are involved in these projects because they're suffering the deception. I have no ill will towards anyone, especially the folks that are working at CERN and other projects. These poor human beings have been deceived by Satan, and they're believing the lie. And Satan wants to kill God, and that's the hubris of Satan that they have fallen under. Yeah, holy moly! <laughs> I've we've heard a lot of things on this show, and that 
has got to be probably the most intense thing that I've ever heard. <laughs> I think I've heard you say that several times, Basil. It just keeps getting better. More intense. <laughs> it just keeps getting more intense. You know, and, and it's it's so strange. Well, not strange, but kind of awesome if you think about it. You know, uh, and again, back to Revelation, but it talks about Jesus and, you know, he's got eyes like flames of fire and his head uh, are diadems and, you know, he he's he's just, he's awesome looking, you know, and it seems like they're afraid of God and they're afraid of Jesus and that makes sense that they're trying to kill him and, you know, it all goes back to Isaiah 14 where Satan's five I wills, you know, I will uh, ascend above the stars and I will set, sit on your throne and be called God and, and, and you know, we didn't even touch on, yep. you know, all the stuff with the Antichrist and, and how that's going to be. But I think that's all part of the process here. And it seems like, you know, and I've been tracking on, I've looked at the secret space program quite extensively. And uh, it seems to me that that has something to do with it as well, but it just seems to all tie together. It's not just isolated things. Now it's all sort of the, again, like a convergence. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, is, is there anything else that is really on your heart that you'd like to share with us before we wrap up? No, I, I think I've, presented it already and that is we are presented a choice we either turn to god or return to satan it's pretty simple pretty straightforward and i think the reason that i have been led down this path of research and now to have the opportunities that you've extended to me as well as other people to to voice these findings and these conclusions is that you have to look at these machines, you have to look at what's going on because they're right there in front of us. They're tangible. They're physical. They are here. You can see that. And because you can see it, you can say, this is real. This problem, this issue of the spiritual is relevant and tangible in the form of this large Hadron Collider. And I'll give you one thing for people to take away, and that is go and look at the statue of Shiva, the god of destruction, that is right outside the headquarters of the Large Hadron Collider at CERN. CERN headquarters has the god of dis destruction as their symbol. And there's a lot more we can go into in that aspect. But look at that and say, is this or is this not? evil personified in this machine and i'll leave it there mm. well anthony thank you so much for coming on the show this truly truly has been really fascinating really mind-blowing and uh taking just such a great look at cern the large hadron collider the science of it all and you know you mentioned how the research of yourself aligns with research of uh, a lot of other researchers um you know and you're all coming through different lines of uh of conclusion and but all ending up at the same place so this is really fascinating and i just want to sincerely thank you for coming on the show buddy it's been my pleasure and i will come back if you'd like me to come back and we'll dig deeper into more rabbit holes Absolutely. Something tells me that uh, we're going to get into it, get into it real deep sometime here in the future. All right, my friend. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. What, before you go, why don't you tell us one more time where we can find more of your work, find your books, uh, so we can keep up with you. Yeah, um, my website is anthonypatch.com. That's P-A-T-C-H, anthonypatch.com. And if you'd like to contact me, there is a contact tab, but I also will give you my email address, anthonypatchauthor. Hello. Hello. I just I think I just really approve. I think we lost it for a bit right when you were saying your email address. Oh, yeah. We got a real, <laughs> that was a real heavy disconnect there for a yeah. second. All right, NSA guy. We get it. All right. <laughs> Let get that email, email address out quickly. <laughs> it's Anthony Patch, author at gmail.com. Okay. Awesome. All right, everybody. There you go. Anthony Patch. One more time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, make sure to check out his books. Make sure to check out his website. Loads and loads and loads of information for you to partake in. Go do it. Thank you, guys. Well, there you have it, folks. That was Mr. Anthony Patch. Make sure to check out his stuff. Um, very, very cool. I hope you enjoyed it. I sure enjoyed it. Uh, as you could hear, my brain, <laughs> my brain was fizzling at moments um but uh, a lot of the puzzle pieces started to come together some very interesting things check out his stuff but <laughs> before you do that you can go to our facebook page facebook.com slash canary cry radio oh give us a wanna, like yeah hey, if you want to hey what hey hey let me finish the link first all right facebook dot com slash canary cry radio you can search us and like us do it lots of cern watch videos by gons great great material okay now it's your turn mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what i was gonna say was that we just surpassed three thousand likes on oh, facebook which is really cool because Considering the fact that they are genuine likes, number one. Yeah, we didn't and, pay for a single like. Yeah, and number two, uh, I think a few weeks ago, Facebook decided to start taking likes away from like inactive accounts and fake accounts and stuff like that. And we did see a dip, but it wasn't as big as what some people have reported, which right. means that you guys are engaged and you guys care and you like and you're us. you're real people. And you're not bots. And you're not bots. And you're not bots trying to sell Russian brides. <laughs> uh, right. Okay. So, and then uh, I, <laughs> uh, for the occasion, I did put together a little video of Basil in his dancing mood there. There's a little Josh Peck cameo. It's like a 10 second video. Yeah. That's a little dance I did at the uh, conference. Yeah. And I put it together uh, just to give you guys a little something to look at, something to, celebrate the 3000 likes and hopefully you know we'll do something uh, we plan to do something what every thousand likes or something put together something yeah fun. why not yeah so make sure to grab some material there from our facebook and share it and um hopefully your friends will like it and then we can do more fun things um so do that also if you want to support canary cry radio on itunes you can go to itunes and um, or Stitcher or whatever and leave us a rating and review give us some stars give us some words let people know why you enjoy or do not enjoy Canary Cry Radio helps us out a lot helps get the word out helps people kind of know what to expect 
It's good stuff. Do it. Also, if you want to support Canary Cry Radio in a financial fashion, financial fashion, you can go ahead and do that at canarycryradio.com. We've got a support tab where you can go ahead and sign up for a monthly donation. It's re- reoccurring, easy, automatic, awesome. Or if commitment's not your thing, you can go ahead and make a donation or, or a gift. It's a gift. A gift in any amount. One time there also. Mm-hmm. Um, and we really appreciate those of you who do have appreciate supported. that. We, we really do. And it helps keep the lights on over here. It keeps a roof over our heads. Keeps otter pops in our mouths. So thank you so much. Weird. Um, <laughs> another thing to mention, and I'm going to do this until you do something about it. We are seven episodes away from episode <laughs> 100. I know you guys are probably sick of hearing it. 100. Too. I know. You're building it up so much. Now it has to be awesome or else we're just going to explode. Well, it's going to be so awesome. It's going to be like like dictatorship awesome. I don't even know what that means. And <laughs> the fact that you're Japanese makes that even more ominous. What? Um, I don't know. Just go with it. Oh, okay. Uh, it's it's a comedy joke. Joke? They're not jokes. They're geokes. Is that they're like is that like a racist thing? Geomedy joke. <laughs> because the word joke starts with a J, like Japanese. Yeah. What are you trying to say? Well, I'll kamikaze yeah. you, man. I'll I'll drive my Whoa, car into your house. That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay, everybody, right. we're done. Yeah. Here we go. We're going to take it easy. We're leaving. There you go. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Because I did. Tune mm-hmm. in next time. But until you do, think outside the cage. Beep. <laughs>